Oh, I enjoyed that worship. Thank you, worship team, for leading us before the Lord this morning. Wasn't that good? Thank you, Pastor Josh, for that prayer. Just so good to be here. It reminded me as we're singing that song in the first service, I thought about a scripture that I heard my father say so many times over his lifetime. He he quote the verse that said, my boundary lines have fallen upon pleasant places. Yea, I have a goodly heritage. (laughs) And I think about that. I think of that for Frankie and I, that the Lord saw fit to enlarge the boundary of our life to bring us up to Willow and enfold you guys all in our sphere of fellowship and acquaintance. And how blessed are we for that, right? I even get to work with Josh. Like, it's amazing. I mean, I never... I never would have planned that, Josh, but, but I have a goodly heritage. I love that, that word, goodly heritage. Well, we're going to continue looking at the book of Proverbs today. The book of Proverbs is a large compendium of wisdom literature covering a lot of real-life issues. And over the last four weeks, we've been immersing ourselves in several categories of wisdom that are emphasized in Proverbs. We've looked at humility and pride. We've looked at parenting and children, children, honesty and dishonesty, work ethic and laziness. Today, we're going to look at wealth and poverty. And uh, we're, we're asking the questions today uh, in, a, in a broad way. We're asking, is wealth the sign of God's blessing? And if so, then is poverty a sign of God's displeasure? There's a huge amount of financial wisdom found in Proverbs, actually, and I mean a lot. In fact, in only the 31 chapters of Proverbs, we find over 130 different verses that speak about things financial, such as money and riches and wealth, prosperity, poverty, and fulfillment in our life beyond even the material. And so that has inspired me today to find, just try and reduce it down to something that's manageable and look at some themes about wealth and poverty in Proverbs and just share them to you today. So I discovered that Proverbs is a, uh, it points to the goodness of wealth as God originally created it and designed it to be. But there's also many warnings about us making an idol out of money. But there are three things about wealth and poverty that I want to help us get a grasp on this morning. And first is the principle of predictability. Second is the prayer of contentment. And third is the paradox of generosity. So let's dive in and look at them. First of all, the principle of of probability. Of the more than 130 individual proverbs on financial wisdom, roughly 40% of them fit into this category that expresses the principle of probability. Here's a sample of just five of them. Verse 5 of chapter 21 says, The plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. 14.23 says, All hard work brings a profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. 28.22 says, The stingy are eager to get rich and are unaware that poverty awaits them. 
13.8 says, Whoever disregards discipline comes to poverty and shame, but whoever heeds correction is honored. And the fifth one is chapter 13, verse 11. Dishonest money dwindles away, but whoever gathers money little by little makes it grow. So the principle of probability in these five verses and many others kind of goes like this. There's right actions that leads to prosperity and wrong or unwise actions that leads to poverty. And so they're essentially saying that you can predict the outcome by the choices that a person makes. One category of choices will lead to prosperity and another category of choices leads to poverty. So I think it's important for us to remember a few things here to get started to put things in proper perspective. First of all, a proverb is a probability, not a promise. Proverbs are probabilities, not promises. They sound like promises, but they're more like this predictable principle of probability. And this is a style of Old Testament teaching that we call wisdom literature. Proverbs are probabilities that are generally true. A proverb is a short saying that expresses a general truth about practical everyday living. Now, because they are probabilities and not promises, then there can always be an exception to the rule, right? Uh, For example, there are those who have prospered despite their laziness, and there are those who have worked hard but still struggle to amass any amount of wealth. But So therefore, a proverb is not a, a law, an axiom that is guaranteed to always happen. It's a general observation looking at life. Life tends to work this way, and so it's a predictable probability, not a promise. Second thing I want to point out is that wealth is not inherently evil. Wealth is not inherently bad. Unlike those theologies or ideologies that find the material world to be inherently evil, and we should therefore avoid anything in the material world. Biblical Christianity recognizes the fundamental goodness of prosperity and possessions. But because of sin, of course, material possessions can be misused and can become a distraction in our worship of God and can become a source of temptation. But there is no biblical support, however, for the notion that money since the fall is inherently corrupting. Money is not inherently corrupting. The next thing I need to point out is that poverty is not a virtue. Being materially poor is not a virtue, nor does it by itself bestow any level of higher spirituality. There are people who have taken vows of poverty with the hopes that it will draw them nearer to the Lord. Uh, Precisely because helping the poor is such a pervasive principle that is taught in the Bible, we can recognize that extreme forms of self-denial are not particularly Christian forms of spirituality because 
Uh, if the Bible is urging us to care for the poor and help for the poor, it tells us two things. First of all, God needs rich people to help the poor. <laughs> God needs people with means to help the poor. And secondly, God doesn't want the peop people who are poor to always be poor. God desires people to be lifted up out of their poverty. And so poverty is not a spiritual virtue. Uh, or a pathway, a road to deeper spirituality. And then finally, God wants everyone to enjoy his good created gifts. God created the entire universe. He looked back at it every day. He stood there and he says, ah, that's pretty good. That's really good. He liked it, right? God's, what, everything God created, he announced that there's goodness in it. It's good. Despite human sin bringing many damaging results to all of God's creation, a decent standard of living is something almost all people appropriately desire. God does not desire his people to live in poverty. So I want to take, take us now to the only prayer recorded in Proverbs. The only prayer in Proverbs is on this subject, interestingly, of wealth and poverty. And it's found in chapter 30, verses 7 to 9. I'm calling it the prayer of contentment. Proverbs 30, verse 7. And matter of fact, we're going to have to assume that if this prayer uh, was included in the book of Proverbs by Solomon... He put it there because he thought it was a wise prayer, right? Proverbs is, is a compendium of wisdom literature. So he thought, must have thought, hey, that's a wise prayer. So I'm going to put this wise prayer in my book of Proverbs. And it's a prayer that was um, spoken or said or written by a guy named Agur. We don't know anything about Agur, but you can tell a lot about a person by listening to their prayers. Some people think that this name Agur is actually a, a pseudonym, pseudonym name under which King Solomon was writing, but we don't know that. But here's his prayer in Proverbs 30, verse 7. O God, I beg two favors from you. Let me have them both before I die. First, help me never to tell a lie. Second, give me neither poverty nor riches. Give me just enough to satisfy my needs. For if I grow rich, I may deny you and say, who is the Lord? And if I am too poor, I may steal and thus insult God's holy name. This prayer is interesting because, first of all, it recognizes that inherent perils exist in both poverty and in riches. And Agur asked God to give him just enough stuff, just enough stuff. That's what I'm titling my message today, just enough stuff. Uh, it's a good prayer of contentment. It's a prayer of moderation. It reminds me of another prayer. It's the prayer of the Apostle Paul. In Philippians 4.13, he said, I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In, and every, in any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. It's interesting. Paul says that there's a secret for us to learn about how to face times of plenty and times of 
hunger, times of abundance and times of need. There's a secret, he said, to how he's learned to navigate those different times of life. And the secret he learned is to trust everything to the provision of God. He says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. The secret of contentment then, just like Agur's prayer is a prayer of contentment, Paul's prayer, this statement leads us to discover the secret of contentment, of keeping our heart in the right place and not being distracted by neither poverty nor riches, is to not rely on ourselves to meet our own needs, or even to rely upon poverty or riches on material goods or not to satisfy, to be the source to satisfy our soul. Only Jesus Christ can satisfy the soul. And the secret of contentment, he says, is that I can do all things through him, through him, through him, he said, who strengthens me. Now, these two prayers of contentment, Agur's prayer and Paul's prayer, uh, brings to my mind a third prayer. They remind me of Tevye's prayer. Anybody know who Tevye is? <laughs> Some people do. Tevye is the lead character in the musical play Fiddler on the Roof. You know, his prayer goes like, if I were a rich man... <laughs> Uh, Tevye uh, is, is a guy in that play who's struggling to navigate life. He, he's struggling to navigate changing times. And he has a hard time facing plenty and hunger. And I just love Fiddler on the Roof. The first time Frankie and I ever he heard about it, we were visiting some Jewish friends down in San Diego and they wanted to take us to this production of The Fiddler on the Roof. And you ever had those moments to where your first experience something, nothing else ever after that ever compares or comes up to the level of that? Well, that was, that was it with our experience. Because I got this uh, Eli, my Jewish friend, on my shoulder beside me, who's just bouncing out of his seat with excitement about this play. And he's wanting to interpret it all for me. And he's, he's talking to me. That, that means this. This means that. Watch this. Watch what's coming next. It was just a, it was just a joy to have Eli there um, getting us excited about Fiddler on the Roof. And I've never forgotten Tevye. I just love Tevye's prayer. But listen to his prayer. I'm going to read it for you. And as, as I'm reading it, compare what Tevye says in his prayer to what Agur prayed in, in Proverbs 30 and what Paul said in Philippians 4. Dear God, you made many, many poor people I realize, of course, that it's no shame to be poor, but it's no great honor either. So what would have been so terrible if I'd had been given a small fortune? If I were a rich man, yubby dibby 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 dum, all day long I'd dip biddy biddy bum if I were a wealthy man. He said, I wouldn't have to work hard. That kind of goes against what Josh preached last week, right? <laughs> there's, a, there's an attitude of the heart here going on. Yaha, deedle, deedle, bubba, bubba, deedle, deedle, dum. If I were a biddy, biddy, rich, idle, deedle, didle, didle, man, 
I'd build a big tall house with rooms by the dozen right in the middle of the town. A fine tin roof with real wooden floors below. There would be one long staircase just going up and one even longer coming down and one more leading nowhere just for show. I'd fill my yard with chicks and turkeys and geese and ducks for the town to see and hear, squawking like just as noisily as they can. Each loud, cheap squawk, honk, quack would land like a trumpet on the ear, as if to say, here lives a wealthy man. I'd see my wife, my Golda, looking like a rich man's wife with a proper double chin. That's a rich man's wife. (laughs) Supervising meals to her heart's delight. I see her putting on airs and strutting like a peacock. Oh, what a happy mood she's in, screaming at the servants day and night. (laughs) The most important men in town would come to fawn on me. They would ask me to advise them like a Solomon the wise. If you please, Reb Tevya, pardon me, Reb Tevya, posing problems that would cross a rabbi's eyes. And it won't make one bit of difference if I answer right or wrong. When you're rich, they think you really know. If I were rich, I'd have the time that I lack to sit in the synagogue and pray and maybe have a seat by the eastern wall, and I'd discuss the holy books with the learned men several hours every day. That would be the sweetest thing of all. If I were a rich man, yubby-dibby-dibby-dibby-dibby-dibby-dum, all day long I'd biddy-biddy-bum. If I were a wealthy man, I wouldn't have to work hard. Idle diddle 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 man. Lord who made the lion and the lamb, you decreed I should be what I am. Would it spoil some vast eternal plan if I were a wealthy man? (laughs) Tevye's prayer. It's not exactly a model of contentment, is it? He's, he's grumbling at God. He's complaining to God. Now listen again to Agur's prayer. It's different than Tevye's. He says, Give me neither poverty nor riches. Give me just enough to satisfy my needs. Just enough stuff to satisfy my needs. Now Agur's prayer reveals two financial pitfalls that we can stumble into that will destroy our contentment. First is a poverty spirit. Uh, He said, give me neither poverty. I don't want poverty. Secondly is a materialistic spirit. Neither do I want to be rich. Neither of these two are honoring to the Lord. Uh, A poverty spirit limits, puts a limit on God's blessing. It settles for less than God's provision. A materialistic spirit hoards God's blessing. It's dissatisfied with the daily provision that God delights in giving us. Now let's look at these two things. First of all, a poverty spirit. I was thinking about that, and I was thinking in the scriptures, there's a great example of someone who did not have a poverty spirit. And that's uh, Caleb's daughter, Caleb of the Old Testament. His daughter's, she's a, kind of an obscure, 
personality in the scriptures found in Joshua chapter 16. Her name is Ixa. And Caleb arranged that she would be given in marriage to Othniel because of his incredible victory in battle. She was an amazing woman because she did not have a poverty spirit. She urged her new husband, Othniel, to ask her father for a big blessing. She asked him for a field. Othniel was just overjoyed that he had Othniel's daughter as his wife, but she convinces him that Caleb is a gracious father. He's a gracious, big-hearted man, and that he will give them even more. He will give them to their heart's delight. And she was right. Caleb gave them the land of the Negev and also gave her what the scripture says was the upper and the lower springs. She asked for upper and lower springs as well, and Caleb gave them to her. Now, Caleb is a picture there of someone who loved to give good gifts to his children. And doesn't it remind you of what Jesus said when he talked about how God loves to give good gifts to his children? That means you can ask God to supply your needs according to his riches in glory. Psalm 23, 1 says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not lack, or I shall not want, or I shall not be in need. We shall not be in need because the Lord is our shepherd. <laughs> the Lord will lead us to green pastures. Well, what are the signs of a poverty spirit? How can we recognize it? and be aware of it in our life. First of all is feeling unworthy to be blessed. We're only able to receive what we believe we are worth. And when our self-worth is shaped by how much God wants to lavish his love upon us, then we'll realize that we're worth so much that he gave his only begotten son to come and draw us to himself and to give us the good things of heaven. And so a poverty spirit can be recognized by feeling, oh, I'm just so unworthy. I don't deserve to be blessed. No, that's not true. You are worth so much that Jesus gave a parable about someone who, who had went, went out and sold everything that he might go and find the pearl of greatest price. I used to think in my early years that parable meant that's what I was supposed to do. I was supposed to sell everything and go and, and pursue after Jesus. But I learned that the correct interpretation of that parable is that Jesus was describing himself, that he left everything to come to earth and that we are the great pearl that he came to seek after and to find. We have worth. We have value. And so we shouldn't have a poverty spirit that feels like we're unworthy to be blessed. No, the coming of Christ and the dying of Christ tells us a different story of our worth and value in his sight. The second sign of a poverty spirit is a fear of success and abundance. This could be caused by bad theology of thinking that we need to stay poor in order to make sure we stay true to God. And I've talked about that already in a, in a sense. That My father used to tell me that he heard someone pray one time for their pastor, Lord, you keep him poor, we'll keep him humble. <laughs> 
a fear of success and abundance as if it's going to lead us down a, a wrong road. Um, third is merit-based religion. Uh, in the parable of the talents, the unfaithful servant with only one talent was afraid to take a risk, and so he went and buried that one talent in the ground. And he didn't understand something, the scripture says. He, he, he was afraid of God because he didn't understand how God's nature was grace. That God was a God of grace and offered him freedom to take risks in his life. His relationship with God was merit-based or based on self-merit rather than a free gift of God's grace. And that's what legalism is. Legalism is merit-based religion. It is, and it's paralyzing to our stewardship because we're afraid to make a mistake. And then the fourth sign of a poverty spirit is a victim mentality. That's a, oh, woe is me attitude. You know, if you find yourself blaming other people and having trouble accepting personal responsibility, then you probably have a victim mentality. If you just give up and capitulate to thinking that your life is just the measure of all the disadvantages that, have, that are rolling into your life and that they are what's hindering you, then your faith will be small, your prayers will be weak, your spirit will become mean, and your heart will become unhappy. A good example is David. Remember how David came to the battlefront and uh, he didn't accept the squat, the squatish, Quo, <laughs> the status quo report of his brothers that Goliath was too big and we're not going down there to face Goliath. Uh, David said, but wait a minute, wait a minute here. Isn't, isn't our God greater? And, and David had a singing heart, the scripture says, because he believed that the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not lack. I shall not be in want. A victim mentality. We need to guard against that. That says it's my circumstances that are keeping me from enjoying the goodness of God's blessing. Well, how can we break free from that spirit of poverty? I want to suggest that you begin to pray scripture into your heart. It's one of the practices that I've learned to really enjoy over life. That it's, When I learned to pray scripture to the Lord, it really set my prayer life on fire. I, I don't have any other way to stay on focus in prayer and to, to excite your heart with the possibilities of God's grace other than praying scriptures back to him. And so I believe that praying these scriptures can help deliver you from any spirit of poverty. First of all, it's Agur's prayer. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Give me just enough to satisfy my needs. Begin to pray that prayer to the Lord. It's a legitimate prayer. And then you could also pray, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Just pray that. Just, Lord, you're my shepherd. Therefore, I don't have any reason to be in want. <laughs> Just pray it over and over. Pray it different ways. Just pray it. Tell the Lord, affirm to the Lord how good he is. And then what Paul said, my God will supply all of your needs according to what measure? What's the capacity from which things flow into our life? According to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus.
Well, let's look at a materialistic spirit, which is hoarding God's blessings. Proverbs 11.26 says, People curse the one who hoards grain, but they pray God's blessing on the one who is willing to sell. That reminds me of a story I read some time ago about a man named John Coleman who lived in upstate New York who grew hay for a living. And one year, the drought just caused hay prices to soar sky high. And the farmer had to make a decision what price he was going to sell his hay at this year. And he decided that he was going to sell his hay at the same price he had been selling it the year before. And his customers never forgot that and thanked him for his generosity. And several years later, when the farmer's son, who was a small little kid, was heading off to school, the customer that uh, had been impressed by Coleman's generosity had two big-shouldered, broad-shouldered sons who were going to the same school. He told him, he said, I'm go- I've ordered... Uh, I've ordered, to use that word, I've ordered my sons to protect your boy when he goes off to college. (laughs) And it's an interesting little story about how when blessings flow from our heart to others, that helps us not only to not be entangled by a materialistic spirit, but our generosity will come back to us, it will be rewarded when we think about the needs of other people. That generosity flows out of us and it always returns back to us. Psychologists say that compulsive hoarding often starts in the teen years when kids are small, perhaps demonstrated by excessive clutter and trouble getting rid of things. Excessive clutter and trouble getting rid of things is an early sign of materialistic spirit. I was reading a book by Craig Blomberg that was titled Christians in an Age of Wealth. And he had some interesting things to say about materialism. And I just want to read something he said. Materialism is the worship of the god Mammon as the greatest good on earth worships the god Mammon as if Mammon is the greatest good to pursue on earth. Materialism may well be the biggest competitor with the God of Jesus Christ for the allegiance of human hearts in our world today. In other words, God's biggest competition for our human heart, for your heart, my heart today, is materialism. Hmm. Materialism has the danger of trapping us in an attachment to possessions and steal our affections and our allegiance of our heart away from God by distracting us away from the Lord. I think Bloomberg gets it just straight to the point when he says, quote, like the Israelites of old who believe they could still worship Yahweh under the guise of the golden calf, Christians... In more well-to-do nations or parts of the world think they can serve Jesus while still worshiping money and material possessions even more. They quickly deny that their attachment to those possessions comes anywhere close to worship. But when one compares the time, the energy expended in working for it, managing it, protecting it, longing for more of it, 
and deciding how to spend it with the time and energy put into the kingdom activity, the denials often ring hollow. So material possessions can become a source of seduction to sin. We can begin to imagine that money is what will buy happiness, that money can even buy health. And some people even have gone so far as to think money can buy salvation. Some people can imagine that they don't need God. It can lead that way. It reminds us again of the prayer of Agur, doesn't it? Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me just enough to satisfy my needs. And then he goes on in this, this prayer, and he, and he says, For if I grow rich, I may deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Material possessions can become a source of seduction to sin. Let me give you five signs next of a materialistic spirit. First of all is spending money you don't have. Going into debt to get what you want. Purchasing things on credit. Pretty good word before Black Friday, isn't it? (laughs) You may have a materialistic spirit if you spend money that you don't have. Second, buying stuff that you don't need. Third, keeping things that you don't use. Fourth, upgrading products that aren't broken. Ouch. (laughs) Even when the iPhone has a better camera. (laughs) Oh, my. Upgrading products that aren't broken. And then finally, coping with stress by going shopping. A person who tries to solve their problems and the stress of life by going shopping is what psychologists call retail therapy, and it only offers a short-term fix. Uh, Researchers have found that those who place a great emphasis and importance on material wealth and possessions will respond to the mere threat of even a crisis situation with these unhealthy materialistic coping mechanisms. They said, quote, materialistic people cope with bad events through materialistic mechanisms, through higher levels of compulsive and impulsive purchasing. So how can we break free from this spirit of materialism? Well, we, I think we break free from the spirit of materialism in the same way we break free from the spirit of poverty. Uh, we pray these scriptures into our heart. And again, the prayer of Agur is an excellent prayer. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Give me just enough stuff to satisfy my needs. It's a good prayer. Pray also the Psalm 23, 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not lack. And pray what Paul said in Philippians 4. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory. But there's a second suggestion for how we can break free from the spirit of materialism that I want to close with. Blomberg suggests this simple biblical cure. He says, quote, give, begin to give a generous, even sacrificial amount of material possessions away. And he says, this is the best way to maximize the goodness of material possessions and minimize their negative effects. So I want to talk to you 
lastly, about the paradox of generosity. Proverbs teaches something really interesting about generosity. It says that one of the main actions that we can take that leads to prosperity, it's counterintuitive because we are told that prosperity comes by depleting our assets through acts of generosity. The paradox of prosperity is that generosity is the way to build more wealth, that we gain more by giving more away. Listen to these verses, for example. Chapter 22, verse 9, The generous will themselves be blessed, for they share their food with the poor. For example, this week in Willow, a pretty young lady named Berna flagged down a plow truck driver and asked if he would be so kind as to dig out a huge berm of snow that was left at the end of Grandma Joe's driveway. He gladly drove his big rig up and dug away that three-foot berm of hard-packed snow to rescue Grandma Joe and clear away the snow. Then out of her joy and out of her gratitude, Grandma Joe generously returned the blessing with blessing, returned the generosity with generosity, and blessed the driver with a big plate of homemade cookies. Did I get that right, Grandma Joe? Something like that? Did you want me to enlarge it, make it sound better? <laughs> The, the point is, is that one act, see, this is like how life works. This is what Proverbs are about. One act of generosity leads to another act of generosity. When somebody's generous with us, what's it motivate you to do? When somebody comes to my house to do something special for me, I love giving them a jar of, of honey, golden honey. You know, so... It, <laughs> if you're out of honey, <laughs> it's just what it means in Proverbs 22.9. The generous will themselves be blessed, for they share their food with the poor. Or how about 11.25 that says, A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Look at the smile on that truck driver's face. See him smiling? He was refreshed. He refreshed Grandma Joe, and Grandma Joe refreshed his spirit. Proverbs 11.24 says, One person gives freely, yet gains even more. Yet another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. Over the past 45 years of ministry, I've seen how true this paradox of generosity plays out in people's lives. And, and as I was preparing my thoughts for the sermon this week, I, I kept Coming to mind, a couple in my church in Ogdensburg, New York, their names were Harry and Olive Cook. They were not wealthy people. They would drive a beat-up old car. And, but they, they would, they're the model of people who lived with open hands to freely give. And I would see them give until they had nothing left that week. They would tell me, they'd say, well, there's a check coming in the mail. Let's see how much we can give from that check. And it was amazing to watch blessings of abundance flow into their lives. They were such big-hearted, generous people. Not only were they the most generous people, 
that I've ever met. But guess what else they were? They were the happiest, most positive, most contented people I've ever met. I think that's the connection that Proverbs is making here, that generous people are genuinely happy people. Look at what it says in 11.25. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be what? Refreshed. That is, whoever refreshes others with generosity will also themselves be refreshed. Being generous increases happiness. Those who cling tightly to their material possessions are, on the other hand, unhappy people. Scientists have actually discovered that there's this neural link in our brain between generosity and an increase in feelings of happiness. Generous people live happier lives. That's an interesting paradox, isn't it? Because we we tend to think that accumulating more stuff is what equals happiness. But the opposite is true. The more that we give away, the more we generously bless other people, the more happiness actually comes into our life. So if generosity leads to happiness, then hoarding to ourselves leads to unhappiness. Generosity and sacrificial giving are the remedy for materialism. And in conclusion, I just want to say one more thing that came to my mind that I thought needed to be said. And that is that money in and of itself is not the issue. Money in and of itself is not sinful nor inherently corrupting. The issue is the integrity of the heart. And the scripture always goes there. For example, Paul said in in 1 Timothy 6.10, For the love of money, not money, but the love of money, the, the way the heart deals with money, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Love of money is an over preoccupation with possessions or materialism. And I was thinking also of these two prayers, the the, the prayer of Agur and then also another prayer in the Bible, the prayer of Jabez that I'm sure you're familiar with. But notice the prayer of Agur. He says, Lord, I'm going to ask you for two things. We didn't talk about the first thing, but the first thing was that help me never to tell a lie. Notice the integrity of heart that that is prefixed to the prayer for well, neither uh, poverty nor riches, that there's an integrity of heart that comes with that prayer that makes it a wise prayer. And also the prayer of Jabez, who prayed that the Lord would enlarge his boundaries, that in that prayer, he also says, so that I might not become a person that causes others pain. Help me not to cause pain. So there's an integrity in of the heart when it comes to examples of prayers in the scripture of people who prayed properly for neither wealth nor poverty, which tells us that money itself is not inherently corrupting. It is the heart that corrupts our use of money and our attitude towards money. 
Which leads me to a final verse of scripture, and I don't have it on the screen. I, I thought of it when I got to church this morning. It's a great verse. So if you're keeping notes, write it down. It's, it's again, a verse right out of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, that says, Guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it flows all of the issues of life. The issue is... The issue that determines everything else is the issue of the heart. It's not even in regards to money and material possessions. It's not money that causes the problem. It's the heart. It's the inclination of the heart. Is it self-serving or is it God-glorifying? The secret, Paul says, is that I will trust God in every circumstance for everything, that my God will supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for these practical instructions from Proverbs. I pray that you will um, help us as we uh, navigate life, that we will keep our heart pure, keep our heart um, fixed completely upon you. Give us a heart that is full of faith in your capacity to supply all of our needs, Lord. Give us contentment as Agur prayed, Lord. Give us moderation in all things, we pray. Give us a balance that glorifies you, Father. We recognize that you are the one who gives great gifts to his children, that you are our shepherd, And therefore, we have no need to ever live in want. So, Lord, we just pray that you will bless us this morning with a gift of discernment and understanding about how to handle finances and how to approach our situations of whether we're in plenty or we're in times of want. Thank you for these these wise words today, Lord, from Solomon. And we ask that you would, uh, by your Holy Spirit, just cause them to root and to grow and prosper in our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and as we worship God in this last song, let it be a time of reflection upon anything that God has uh, zeroed in on us and directed our heart towards and just uh, pray that, offer that prayer to him.